Section 15 of Manners, Customs, and Dress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Donna Stewart. Manners, Customs, and Dress During the Middle Ages and During the Renaissance Period by Paul Lacroix. Section 15. Hunting. Venery and Hawking. Origin of I La Chapelle, Gaston Phoebus and his book, The Presiding Deities of Sportsmen, Sporting Societies and Brotherhoods, Sporting Kings, Charlemagne, Louis the Ninth, Louis the Eleventh, Charles the Eighth, Louis the Twelfth, Francis the First, etc. Treatise on Venery, Sporting Popes, Origin of Hawking, Training Birds, Hawking Retinues, Book of King Modus, Technical Terms Used in Hawking, Persons Who Have Excelled in This Kind of Sport, Fowling. By the general term hunting is included the three distinct branches of an art, or it may be called a science, which dates its origin from the earliest times, but which was particularly esteemed in the Middle Ages, and was especially cultivated in the glorious days of chivalry. Venery, which is the earliest, is defined by M. Elzear Blaise as the science of snaring, taking, or killing one particular animal from amongst a herd. Hawking came next. This was not only the art of hunting with the falcon, but that of training birds of prey to hunt feathered game. Lastly, loisellerie, fowling, which, according to the author of several well-known works on the subject we are discussing, had originally no other object than that of protecting the crops and fruits from birds and other animals whose nature it was to feed on them. Venery will be first considered. Sportsmen always pride themselves in placing Xenophon, the general, philosopher, and historian, at the head of sporting writers, although his treatise on the chase, translated from Greek into Latin under the title of De Venatione, which gives excellent advice respecting the training of dogs, only speaks of traps and nets for capturing wild animals. Amongst the Greeks, Arian and Opian, and amongst the Romans, Gradius, Feliscus, and Nemesianus wrote on the same subject. Their works, however, except in a few isolated or scattered passages, do not contain anything about venery properly so-called, and the first historical information on the subject is to be found in the records of the 7th century. Long after that period, however, they still hunted, as it were, at random, attacking the first animal they met. The sports of Charlemagne, for instance, were almost always of this description. On some occasions they killed animals of all sorts by thousands, after having tracked and driven them into an enclosure composed of cloths or nets. This illustrious emperor, although usually at war in all parts of Europe, never missed an opportunity of hunting, so much so that it might be said that he rested himself by galloping through forests. He was on these occasions not only followed by a large retinue of huntsmen and attendants of his household, but he was accompanied by his wife and daughters, mounted on magnificent coursers, and surrounded by a numerous and elegant court, who vied with each other in displaying their skill and courage in attacking the fiercest animals. 
It is even stated that I la Chapelle owes its origin to a hunting adventure of Charlemagne. The emperor, one day while chasing a stag, required to cross a brook which came in his path, but immediately his horse had set foot in the water, he pulled it out again and began to limp as if it were hurt. His noble rider dismounted, and on feeling the foot, found it was quite hot. This induced him to put his hand into the water, which he found to be almost boiling. On that very spot, therefore, he caused a chapel to be erected in the shape of a horse's hoof. The town was afterwards built, and to this day the spring of hot mineral water is enclosed under a rotunda, the shape of which reminds one of the old legend of Charlemagne and his horse. The sons of Charlemagne also held hunting in much esteem, and by degrees the art of venery was introduced and carried to great perfection. It was not, however, until the end of the thirteenth century that an anonymous author conceived the idea of writing its principal precepts in an instructive poem called Le Dit de la Chasse du Cerf. In 1328, another anonymous writer composed the Livre du Roi Modou, which contains the rules for hunting all furred animals from the stag to the hare. Then followed other poets and writers of French prose, such as Gaste de la Vigne, 1359, Gaston Phoebus, 1387, and Hardouin, Lord of Fontaine Guerin, 1394. None of these, however, wrote exclusively on venery, but described the different sports known in their day. Toward 1340, Alphonse the Eleventh, King of Castile, caused a book on hunting to be compiled for his use, but it was not so popular as the instruction of Gaston Phoebus. If hunting with hounds is known everywhere by the French name of the chase, it is because the honor of having organized it into a system, if not having originated it, is due to the early French sporting authors, who were able to form a code of rules for it. This also accounts for so many of the technical terms now in use in venery being of French origin, as they are no others than those adopted by these ancient authors, whose work, so to speak, have perpetuated them. The curious miniatures which accompany the text in the original manuscript of Gaston Phoebus, and which have been reproduced in nearly all the ancient copies of this celebrated manuscript, give most distinct and graphic ideas of the various modes of hunting. We find, for instance, that the use of an artificial cow for approaching wild fowl was understood at that time, the only difference being that a model was used more like a horse than a cow. We also see sportsmen shooting at bears, wild boars, stags, and such live animals with arrows having sharp iron points, intended to enter deep into the flesh, notwithstanding the thickness of the fur and the creature's hard skin. In the case of the hare, however, the missile had a heavy, massive end, probably made of lead, which stunned him without piercing his body. In other cases, the sportsman is represented with a crossbow seated in a cart, all covered up with boughs, by which plan he was supposed to approach the prey without alarming it any more than a swinging branch would do. Gaston Phoebus is known to have been one of the bravest knights of his time, and after fighting he considered hunting as his greatest delight. Somewhat ingenuously he writes of himself as a hunter that he doubts having any superior. Like all his contemporaries he is eloquent 
as to the moral effect of his favourite pastime. By hunting, he says, one avoids the sin of indolence, and, according to our faith, he who avoids the seven mortal sins will be saved. Therefore, the good sportsman will be saved. From the earliest ages, sportsmen placed themselves under the protection of some special deity. Among the Greeks and Romans it was Diana and Phoebe. The Gauls, who had adopted the greater number of the gods and goddesses of Rome, invoked the moon when they sallied forth to war or to the chase. But as soon as they penetrated the sacred obscurity of the forests, they appealed more particularly to the goddess Arduina, whose name of unknown origin has probably since been applied to the immense well-stocked forests of Ardennes or Ardennes. They erected in the depths of the woods monstrous stone figures in honour of this goddess, such as the heads of stags on the bodies of men or women, and to propitiate her during the chase, they hung round these idols the feet, the skins, and the horns of the beasts they killed. Kerninus, who was always represented with a human head surmounted by stag's horns, had an altar even in Lutetia, which was no doubt in consequence of the great woods which skirted the banks of the Seine. The Gallic Kerninus, which we also find among the Romans, since Ovid mentions the votary stag's horns, continued to be worshipped to a certain extent after the establishment of the Christian religion. In the fifth century, Germain, an intrepid hunter, who afterwards became bishop of Auxerre, possessed not far from his residence an oak of enormous diameter, a thorough Kerninus, which he hung with the skins and other portions of animals he had killed in the chase. In some countries, where the Kerninus remained an object of veneration, everybody bedecked it in the same way. The largest oak to be found in the district was chosen on which to suspend the trophies both of warriors and of hunters. And at a more recent period, sportsmen used to hang outside their doors stags' heads, boars' feet, birds of prey, and other trophies, a custom which was evidently a relic of the one referred to. On pagan idolatry being abandoned, hunters used to have a presiding genius or protector, whom they selected from amongst the saints most in renown. Some chose St. Germain of Auxerre, who had himself been a sportsman, others St. Martin, who had been a soldier before he became Bishop of Tours. Eventually they all agreed to place themselves under the patronage of St. Hubert, Bishop of Liège, a renowned hunter of the 8th century. This saint devoted himself to a religious life after one day haying encountered a miraculous stag whilst hunting in the woods, which appeared to him as bearing between his horns a luminous image of our Saviour. At first the Feast of St. Hubert was celebrated four times a year, namely at the anniversaries of his conversion and death, and on the two occasions on which his relics were exhibited. At the celebration of each of these feasts, a large number of sportsmen in fine apparel came from great distances with their horses and dogs. There was, in fact, no magnificence or pomp deemed too imposing to be displayed both by the kings and nobles in honour of the patron saint of hunting. Hunters and sportsmen in those days formed brotherhoods, which had their rank defined at public ceremonials and especially in processions. 
in fourteen fifty five gerard duke of cleves and burgrave of ravensburg created the order of the knights of st hubert into which those of noble blood only were admitted the insignia consisted of a gold or silver chain formed of hunting horns to which was hung a small likeness of the patron saint in the act of doing homage to our lord's image as it shone on the head of a stag it was popularly believed that the knights of st hubert had the power of curing madness which for some unknown reason never showed itself in a pack of hounds this however was not the only superstitious belief attached to the noble and adventurous occupations of the followers of st hubert amongst a number of old legends which mostly belong to germany mention is made of hunters who sold their souls to the devil in exchange for some enchanted arrow which never missed its aim and which reached game at extraordinary distances mention is also made in these legends of various animals which on being pursued by the hunters were miraculously saved by throwing themselves into the arms of some saint or by running into some holy sanctuary there were besides knights who having hunted all their lives believed that they were to continue the same occupation in another world an account is given in history of the apparition of a fiery phantom to charles the ninth in the forest of lyons and also the ominous meeting of henry the fourth with a terrible grand veneur in the forest of fontainebleau we may account for these strange tales from the fact that hunting formerly constituted a form of freemasonry with its mysterious rites and its secret language the initiated used particular signs of recognition amongst themselves and they also had lucky and unlucky numbers emblematical colours etc the more dangerous the sport the more it was indulged in by military men the chronicles of the monk of st gall describe an adventure which befell charlemagne on the occasion of his setting out with his huntsmen and hounds in order to chase an enormous bear which was the terror of the vosges the bear after having disabled numerous dogs and hunters found himself face to face with the emperor who alone dared to stand up before him a fierce combat ensued on the summit of a rock in which both were locked together in a fatal embrace the contest ended by the death of the bear charles striking him with his dagger and hurling him down the precipice on this the hills resounded with the cry of vive charles le grand from the numerous huntsmen and others who had assembled and it is said that this was the first occasion on which the companions of the intrepid monarch gave him the title of grand magnus so from that time king charles became king charlemagne this prince was most jealous of his rights of hunting which he would waive to no one for a long time he refused permission to the monks of the abbey of st denis whom he nevertheless held in great esteem to have some stags killed which were destroying their forests it was only on condition that the flesh of these animals would serve as food to the monks of inferior order and that their hides should be used for binding the missiles that he eventually granted them permission to kill the offending animals if we pass from the ninth to the thirteenth century we find that louis the ninth king of france was as keen a sportsman and as brave a warrior as any of his ancestors 
he was indeed as fond of hunting as of war and during his first crusade an opportunity occurred to him of hunting the lion as soon as he began to know the country of caesarea says joinville the king set to work with his people to hunt lions so that they captured many but in doing so they incurred great bodily harm the mode of taking them was this they pursued them on the swiftest horses when they came near one they shot a bolt or arrow at him and the animal feeling himself wounded ran at the first person he could see who immediately turned his horse's head and fled as fast as he could during his flight he dropped a portion of his clothing which the lion caught up and tore thinking it was the person who had injured him and whilst the lion was thus engaged the hunters again approached the infuriated animal and shot more bolts and arrows at him soon the lion left the cloth and madly rushed at some other hunter who adopted the same strategy as before this was repeated until the animal succumbed becoming exhausted by the wounds he had received notwithstanding the passion which this king had for hunting he was the first to grant leave to the bourgeoisie to enjoy the sport the condition he made with them was that they should always give a haunch of any animal killed to the lord of the soil it is to this that we must trace the origin of giving the animal's foot to the huntsman or to the person who has the lead of the hunting party louis the eleventh however did not at all act in this liberal manner and although it might have been supposed that the incessant wars and political intrigues in which he was constantly engaged would have given him no time for amusements of this kind yet he was nevertheless the keenest sportsman of his day this tyrant of the castle of plessis les tours who was always miserly except in matters of hunting in which he was most lavish forbade even the higher classes to hunt under penalty of hanging to ensure the execution of his severe orders he had all the castles as well as the cottages searched and any net engine or sporting arm found was immediately destroyed his only son the heir to the throne was not exempted from these laws shut up in the castle of amboise he had no permission to leave it for it was the will of the king that the young prince should remain ignorant of the noble exercises of chivalry one day the dauphin prayed his governor monsieur du bouchage with so much earnestness to give him an idea of hunting that this noble consented to make an excursion into the neighbouring wood with him the king however managed to find it out and du bouchage had great difficulty in keeping his head on his shoulders one of the best ways of pleasing louis the eleventh was to offer him some present relating to his favourite pastime either pointers hounds falcons or varlets who were adepts in the art of venery or hawking when the cunning monarch became old and infirm in order to make his enemies believe that he was still young and vigorous he sent messengers everywhere even to the most remote countries to purchase horses dogs and falcons for which according to comines he paid large sums on his death the young prince charles the eighth succeeded him and he seems to have had an innate taste for hunting and soon made up for lost time in the privation to which his father had subjected him he hunted daily and generously allowed the nobles to do the same 
it is scarcely necessary to say that these were not slow in indulging in the privilege thus restored to them and which was one of their most ancient pastimes and occupations for it must be remembered that in those days of small intellectual culture hunting must have been a great if not at times the only resource against idleness and the monotony of country life everything which related to sport again became fashionable among the youth of the nobility and their chief occupation when not engaged in war they continued as formerly to invent every sort of sporting device for example they obtained from other countries traps engines and hunting weapons they introduced into france at great expense foreign animals which they took great pains in naturalizing as game or in training as auxiliaries in hunting after having imported the reindeer from lapland which did not succeed in their temperate climate and the pheasant from tartary with which they stocked the woods they imported with greater success the panther and the leopard from africa which were used for furred game as the hawk was for feathered game the mode of hunting with these animals was as follows the sportsmen preceded by their dogs rode across the country each with a leopard sitting behind him on his saddle when the dogs had started the game the leopard jumped off the saddle and sprang after it and as soon as it was caught the hunters threw the leopard a piece of raw flesh for which he gave up the prey and remounted behind his master louis the eleventh charles the eighth and louis the twelfth often hunted thus the leopards which formed a part of the royal venery were kept in an enclosure of the castle of amboise which still exists near the gate des lions so called no doubt on account of these sporting and carnivorous animals being mistaken for lions by the common people there were however always lions in the menageries of the kings of france francis i was quite as fond of hunting as any of his predecessors his innate taste for sport was increased during his travels in italy where he lived with princes who displayed great splendour in their hunting equipages he even acquired the name of father of sportsmen his netting establishment alone consisted of one captain one lieutenant twelve mounted huntsmen six varlets to attend the bloodhounds six whips who had under their charge sixty hounds and one hundred bowmen on foot carrying large stakes for fixing the nets and tents which were carried by fifty six-horsed chariots he was much pleased when the ladies followed the chase and amongst those who were most inclined to share its pleasures its toils and even its perils was catherine de medici then dauphine who was distinguished for her agility and her graceful appearance on horseback and who became a thorough sportswoman the taste for hunting having become very general and the art being considered as the most noble occupation to which persons could devote themselves it is not surprising to find sporting works composed by writers of the greatest renown and of the highest rank the learned william boudet whom erasmus called the wonder of france dedicated to the children of francis i the second book of his philologie which contains a treatise on stag hunting 
this treatise originally written in latin was afterwards translated into french by order of charles the ninth who was acknowledged to be one of the boldest and most scientific hunters of his time an extraordinary feat which has never been imitated by any one is recorded of him and that was that alone on horseback and without dogs he hunted down a stag the chasse royale the authorship of which is attributed to him is replete with scientific information wolf hunting a work by the celebrated clay morgan and yenery by dufouilleuse were dedicated to charles the ninth and a great number of special treatises on such subjects appeared in his reign his brother the effeminate henry the third disliked hunting as he considered it too fatiguing and too dangerous on the other hand according to sully henry the fourth le bernet who learned hunting in early youth in the pyrenees loved all kinds of sport and above all the most fatiguing and adventurous pursuits such as those after wolves bears and boars he never missed a chance of hunting even when in face of an enemy if he knew a stag to be near he found time to hunt it and we find in the memoirs of sully that the king hunted the day after the famous battle of ivry one day when he was only king of navarre he invited the ladies of beau to come and see a bear hunt happily they refused for on that occasion their nerves would have been put to a serious test two bears killed two of the horses and several bowmen were hugged to death by the ferocious animals another bear although pierced in several places and having six or seven pike heads in his body charged eight men who were stationed on the top of a rock and the whole of them with the bear were all dashed to pieces down the precipice the only point in which louis the thirteenth resembled his father was his love of the chase for during his reign hunting continued in france as well as in other countries to be a favourite royal pastime we have remarked that saint germain d'auxerre who at a certain period was the patron of sportsmen made hunting his habitual relaxation he devoted himself to it with great keenness in his youth before he became bishop that is when he was duke of auxerre and general of the troops of the provinces subsequently when against his will he was raised to the episcopal dignity not only did he give up all pleasures but he devoted himself to the strictest religious life unfortunately in those days all churchmen did not understand as he did that the duties of their holy vocation were not consistent with these pastimes for in the year five o seven we find that councils and synods forbade priests to hunt in spite of this however the ancient historians relate that several noble prelates yielding to the customs of the times indulged in hunting the stag and flying the falcon it is related in history that some of the most illustrious popes were also great lovers of the chase namely julius the second leo the tenth and previously to them pius the second who before becoming pope amongst other literary and scientific works wrote a latin treatise on venery under his christian names aeneas silvius 
it is easy to understand how it happened that sports formerly possessed such attractions for ecclesiastical dignitaries in early life they acquired the tastes and habits of people of their rank and they were accordingly extremely jealous of the rights of chase in their domains although pope clement v in his celebrated institutions called clementine had formally forbidden the monks to hunt there were few who did not evade the canonical prohibition by pursuing furred game and that without considering that they were violating the laws of the church the papal edict permitted the monks and priests to hunt under certain circumstances and especially where rabbits or beasts of prey increased so much as to damage the crops it can easily be imagined that such would always be the case at a period when the people were so strictly forbidden to destroy game and therefore hunting was practised at all seasons in the woods and fields in the vicinity of each abbey the jealous peasants not themselves having the right of hunting and who continually saw master abbot passing on his hunting excursions said with malice that the monks never forgot to pray for the success of the litters and nests propulis et nidis in order that game might always be abundant end of section fifteen recording by donna stewart seattle washington